And I pray, O God, this morning as we look into your word, that your word would look into us. Reveal to us, O Lord, those things of life that need to go. May we become steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. May our heart's desire and our soul's passion, may it be to do all that gives glory to you. We're here this morning, Lord, to hear from you. Pray that you would search us, Pray that you would change us, encourage us, strengthen us by your word this day. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and teach us what we need to know. Instruct us in the truth that our lives would bear that truth for your honor and for your glory. And may all that is said and done this day be for the glory of our great God who is worthy of all praise. We lift up to you, O Lord God, even of individuals of our congregation who cannot be here because of illness. We're reminded, Lord, of the consequences of the effect of the world system when we're laying in the bed with a fever. We're sick. And I pray, Lord, that you would raise those quickly, strengthen those who need it. Give to them, Lord, a healing that goes beyond what doctors can do. And may they sense your presence this day. We lift up to you, Lord, too, this this congregation. I pray, O God, that you would have free reign today. That it would be by your power and through your grace and for your glory. That you would teach us this day from your word. We'll be careful to praise you. And to thank you for what you're going to do. For it is in your matchless name we ask these things. Amen. It wasn't too long ago that in September the 11th, 2001, the United States, maybe for the first time in our history, was awakened to a travesty that we never felt before. It wasn't that we weren't involved in wars, but all of a sudden those wars were over across the pond, as they say. But there was a war that was brought to us. It was the first time in modern history that the United States was attacked by a foreign government, a foreign philosophy, a foreign soldiers, if you will, as they hijacked planes that day. Two planes, they hit the towers in New York City. 
One plane hit the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. And another plane, well, the effects of it are just west of us in western Pennsylvania. All travel was canceled. Jets that were about ready to take off were held back. Planes that were in the air were redirected to land immediately. All of life seemed to stop because of a philosophy of conquering. It was also probably one of the first times, at least in my life, that I can see and remember that all of a sudden a country was brought to the reality. Are we really that invincible? I remember hearing and even watching some of the prayer gatherings in the major cities of the United States. What was gathered on all of those platforms was almost contrived to be an ecumenical movement. They were praying to their gods. But I remember hearing at least one in New York City, where an individual who knew the God of heaven, the maker of seas and earth, got up. And he asked for something that no one else asked their God for. He asked for forgiveness. Forgiveness. As a nation, he said, we have run away from our God. We were to be founded as one nation under God, but yet we have run from that. And he's, and his prayer was, Lord, forgive us. And it wasn't long after that that the mainstream media focused on him and called him narrow-minded. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, I'm glad he's narrow-minded. Because that's the word of God. In Jonah chapter 1, An ecumenical movement happened on the deck of a ship. Sailors were praying to their gods, plural. Remember, every culture, every city, every town, every village, every occupation had a god. And these sailors were busy asking their gods for help, but there was none there. And you remember that the captain of the ship came down and awakened, awakened, if you will, Jonah, and said to him, at least you could do is ask your God to help us out. Maybe your God can get us out of this mess. Jonah didn't pray. But in chapter 1, our text this morning does tell us a change of venue. Jonah no longer is sleeping in the bottom of the boat. He is on top of the deck. He is amongst the sailors. And this morning I want to talk to you about spiritual changes. 
And the reason I say that is because the sailors know that this storm that they're in isn't normal. It isn't something that they've seen before. It's not something that they can control. They're afraid. And sailors don't usually get afraid when they're on the ship because the ships are made for storms. They can usually navigate them. They can usually get them to their destinations even if the waves are beating against them. But this storm, they were going nowhere. And and Jonah is now with the sailors. He's having a conversation with the sailors. That sort of tells me that when we as believers find ourselves in the same situations, in the same storms of life as unbelievers, What are we going to say? God is generous in his mercy that he provides rain for both believers and unbelievers, godly and ungodly. God's mercy and his grace is rich, both to ungodly and to godly. But when we find ourselves face to face in the same situations as our community, the same hardship, the same storm, what are we going to say? This morning I want to talk to you about spiritual changes. A change of perspective. A change of position. And a change of a person. Change of perspective. What we need to do is we need to remind ourselves of at least two things. God's theme from Genesis to Revelation is about redemption. Redeeming mankind for himself. Genesis chapter 3, God promises that there will be a Savior that will be born who will ultimately crush the head of the serpent. Time and time again throughout the text, God provided an avenue of redemption. A place, an opportunity, a man, whereby through their words, through their actions, through their particular offerings, individuals could be brought back into a proper relationship with God. That's what redemption is. It's a covenant. And a covenant is a promise of God based upon his character to fulfill a promise that God has deemed literally to bring the promises of heaven down to earth. That's a covenant. 
And redemption is a covenant that God, we like to refer to it as salvation. It's a covenant. It's a promise that God has given, settled in his character, determined by his promise to fulfill a particular, if you will, a particular issue in order to bring heaven down to earth. Let me read for you the text this morning. We're going to pick the text up at verse 10. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. Jonah answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord. Don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. These men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord And made vows, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Change of perspective. The change of perspective is highlighted in the answer that Jonah gave to the sailor. As they were questioning him, they found out that he is the cause of the problem, but they also figured out that he's the answer to the problem. What do we do with you? What do you want us to do with you? Was the question. Jonah's answer is quite interesting because it shines, if you will, as a beacon of a change of perspective. Notice the words that Jonah says that's recorded for us. Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For you. I am the cause of this. Throw me into the sea, that it will calm down for you. Up to this point, 
Jonah had no concern for the pagans. Remember, he got in the boat, and the first place he checked in was down in the bottom. Which, by the way, that's what sin will do to you. It'll take you to the bottom. And he fell asleep. He had no concern for these pagans. In fact, that's the reason why he's running. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He had no concern for them whatsoever. And now, all of a sudden, maybe through just the issue of pity, Jonah is beginning to change. It's going to take a while for him to completely change because even when you come to the end of the book, chapter 4, it's still left wide open. Did he change? But at least he's beginning to see pity for these men. When you look in the eyes of somebody who you find yourself in the same situation, the same condition, Pity is about the first thing that comes to your heart. You feel sorry for them. Maybe based upon the fact that Jonah had the answer, but he wasn't willing to share the information. We as believer people, we of any group of people on this earth, should show pity to those who have no hope. They're in a storm. And there's no way of getting out of it. And the only thing that you can say is, I have something for you. The other change of perspective is not only just that Jonah says that I'm the cause of this storm, Throw me in the sea and it'll calm down for you. But, for I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Two times, he uses the plural personal pronoun of you. I'm it. Now, there's some that are suggesting the fact that maybe Jonah just wants to die. Just wants to be relieved. Just wants to finalize what he's been trying to do, which is run away from the presence of God. And he realizes he can't. So just kill me. I don't think that that's true. Because if Jonah just wanted to kill himself, he could have done that way before getting on the boat going to Tarshish. He could have ended it all when he got the first instruction. Some are saying that here is Jonah, he's he's getting his mind right. Your cool hand Luke line, I got my mind right, boss, I got my mind right. But he's not using the words because he hasn't brought God into the equation. 
He's been silent about God and what God can do. Do you notice he doesn't say, throw me in the sea and God will quiet the storm. No, 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 no. He don't say that. He's trying to run away from God. And when you're trying to run away from God, you begin to forget about God and what God can do. So we find ourselves maybe somewhat in between those two points. That maybe just maybe Jonah is coming to the point of realizing of what he's done. And there doesn't seem to be a way out. Change of perspective. But the other side of that coin is also true for the sailors. They recognizing that this is a spiritual storm. We're praying to their gods. They were heaving stuff over the side of the ship for their gods in order for asking their gods to rectify the situation. But that wasn't working. And so now they're asking Jonah about his God. What's interesting in this change of perspective is that everything that they were raised about their gods has faded away. Now they've come to the end of their oars, per se. They've tried to row. To get to land and it's not working. So there's hope that they never thought they could find. And they're asking Jonah, what do we do to you? It's your God that we know can only help. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, Because for the first time in the text, these sailors start to use the personal name of God. They call him Lord. Before they heave whole Jonah, they say, Lord, don't hold this, don't put this against our account. Don't put innocent blood on our hands. We've got no other place to turn. So, Lord, we're turning to you for hope and for help. They had a changed perspective. During the short months after 9-11, as we know it from at least my generation, some of you here this morning got no clue about 9-11, 2001. But those of you that are in my age, can I get an amen? Oh, that's, that's not many. Okay, I got it. I got it. We remember that this country 
was looking for answers. They were looking for help. They were wondering, how could this happen to us? But it wasn't long after that that the train ride to repentance stopped. And we began to go back the exact same way that we were. Wasn't so with the sailors. Did you catch the text? First, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Then they made vows to the Lord. They're the ones that got right with the Lord. They knew that those tiny gods couldn't stack up against God Almighty. They knew that their gods had no control over the creator of all that there is. They figured it out that all of their hope in their former religion faded away when you get right with God. And they got right. Some people say that conversions happen quite frequently in foxholes or tough life situations where people begin to make deals with God. And then when the answer comes and there's peace, all of a sudden they go back. That wasn't so with the sailors. Because the sailors got right with God when the sea stopped. The waves ceased. And when God moved in, they became terrified to the fear of this God. And they figured out that the only way to get right with him is to get close to him. And they worshipped him. Now let me ask you a question. How did they know how to worship God? How did they know what to say to make vows to God? I'll give you an idea. We're told in Genesis chapter 2 that we are created in the image of God. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul says... Every individual that is born on this earth is born with a recognition that there is God. Now, they've made choices, Romans chapter 1, to worship creation more than the Creator. But these individuals knew how to worship God because it was already in them that God was calling them to himself. Now in the time remaining, 
I got to tie this together with Matthew chapter 12. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus finds himself in a discussion with religious leaders. And they want to know by what authority. Who's given you the right to say what you say and do what you do? Jesus begins his defense as if he needed one. He begins his defense, first of all, by calling himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Then he heals an individual with a withered hand. And then he talks about a house divided because he's accused of doing these things in the power of Beelzebub, the devil. The fog of the tussle seems to settle just a little bit, but when we get to verse 38, they say to him, then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want you to do the stuff. Give us an indication of who you are. As if he he did, they would believe. They wanted to see Jesus do what they wanted him to do. Oh, be careful, brother and sister in Christ this morning. We're just like him, aren't we? Can I get an amen? It's going to be really silent. We want Jesus to do what we want him to do. Jesus don't work that way. God doesn't work that way. God is the sovereign king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He doesn't take instruction from anybody. Because all that he does is for his glory. Whether we like it that way or not, it's all for his glory. But they wanted to see stuff. And Jesus says, he answered them, you're an evil, an adulterous generation. You demand a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. You want a sign? Open the text to Jonah. For Jesus says, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man 
is going to be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. That's a sign. That's the sign I'll give you. It's a sign that you may not want to see. But it's a sign I'm going to give you. You see, when we come to Jonah, we have a type of Christ. Not that Jonah is Christ. He's a type of Christ. In other words, in the life of Jonah is an illustration of what Jesus was going to do. Jonah got taken up by a fish. Jesus got taken up by a tomb. But they both came out. I don't want to focus so much on Jonah. I want to focus on Jesus. Because when Jesus came out, God was satisfied. For it was by his resurrection that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that our faith is not in vain. Neither is our teaching of the gospel in vain. We have a risen Savior. As we get to chapter 3, we're going to journey through chapter 2, but when we get to chapter 3, Jonah came out of the whale. He was regurgitated. That's a polite word of saying vomit. He was thrown up. If you ever want to see a whale throw or a big fish throw up, I can't imagine the mess that looked like. You want to talk about projectile vomiting, that was it. Now here's something too. I got time to throw this one in. How far offshore was this big fish that put out Jonah? I think he got launched, man. He got launched. I was watching a little bit on YouTube of this boat, two boats. And all of a sudden, all these fish started gathering around in between them. But what they didn't know was that there was this big whale coming up and doing his feeding time. Came right up between those two boats. And he took down all those fish. Well, if, if he can ingest like that, can you imagine how he exgesses? But when Jesus came out of the belly of the earth, it was so dramatic that it shook the earth. But when Jesus came out of the earth, he solidified what you and I believe. That is, and through the death, burial, and resurrection, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we can have eternal life. And when you get to chapter 4, or chapter 3, when Jonah is preaching, people got right. When Jesus came out of the tomb, your people. And when we trust in Him, we get right.
to change, if you will, a change of position. We go from being lost to being found. We go from being children of the forces of darkness to a child of the living God. We go from being blind to be able to see the truth of Scripture. We go from walking our way to the walk of faith. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And the dynamic thing of it is, is the sailors knew that even before they threw Jonah into the waves. There's something else for you. It may hang with you for a little while. Sometimes you got to get wet so you can get right. Oh, we'll be looking at that next week. Sometimes you got to get wet to get right. We have a change of perspective. We have a change of position. And lastly, we have a change of person. A change of person. These sailors came to know and understand the greatness of our God. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you know the greatness of of our God. Oh, some of you I know are going through storms. I know that. Some of you feel that the waves are beating against your bottom nostrils. And you're wondering if there's ever a way of hope. How am I going to get out of this? Is there any way to get out of this? I'm here to tell you this morning. That's the greatness of God. Because what seems to be out of your control is only out of your control, not out of God's. Chapter 1 closes with a dynamic statement when it said, God called somebody. God prepared somebody. It was a great fish. Because when nature, when the firmament hears the voice of the Creator, they do what the Creator says. I'd have liked to have been in that conversation, or at least hear that. Can you imagine what you say? Here, boy, get him. Which one? Oh, you'll know. Go get him. The great fish came. The sailors had a change of person. They worshiped God and they made vows to him. But Jonah is about to have a change. That's what chapter 2 is all about. The change of Jonah's perspective. If you will, it's his Repentance. His mind has been changed. He's not going the way that he wanted to go. 
He's being ushered the way God wants him to usher. God's got a plan. There are people, I don't know if you're inside of a great fish. I don't know if you're headlong into a storm. But God's got a plan. And his plan is to use you for his glory and for his purpose. Don't back away from it. Because when you're in a storm, maybe all you got is time to pray. Then you pray. You're in a big fish. You got nowhere else to go. You might as well pray. And God will bring you out. That's his purpose. God hasn't left you. God has not ignored you. God has not in any way diminished his relationship with you. He wants to use you for something greater that you don't even know yet that is coming, but God is faithful. That'll change you as a person. It changed Jonah. It changed the sailors. And I guarantee you what is on the horizon is a change of a whole city by one message that God told him to say. God's got a word for you to say. Say it and watch him do great things. What seems to be out of your control is just out of your control. It's not out of God's. Oh, take heart, dear people. God's got a plan. Let's pray. Father, it's amazing to see in your word how you long to redeem people. The steps that you take to have it happen. The individuals that you use to make it a reality is an encouragement to our hearts. Because the covenant of redemption, the covenant of salvation, is solidified in the finished work of Christ our Savior. But it becomes our mission, becomes our vision, that as we are going, preach, teach, baptize individuals by the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And whether we're in a storm or whether we find ourselves in the belly of a fish, your plan is to take us where we need to go in order to say that which people need to hear, and that is the love of Christ. So to you be the glory. Use us mightily, Lord, for your purpose and for your power and for your glory. 
And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen.